And now on RT Radio 1, it's time to join Anna Geary for this week's Supercharged. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with me, Anna Geary. This is your dedicated health and well-being show. So I'm with you live in studio until 7 o'clock this evening. Now the response to last week's show about grief and loss was overwhelming to be honest. And I'm so humbled by it. So to each and every one of you that reached out with your messages, thank you. This evening is the last show in the series. And to me, we're discussing something extremely important, like a fundamental part of our existence, the creation of life. So on the show, we're going to open up the conversation about all things fertility. We're going to delve into what you need to know about your fertility journey, whether it's a practical or a psychological perspective. We're going to be speaking to a doctor from a fertility clinic and also to a psychologist, both of whom are going to give you plenty of advice. There's also going to be a chance to answer your questions, so please get in touch. You can text us on 51551 or email us at supercharged at rte.ie. On the show this evening, we'll hear from some who will share their own personal fertility journeys with us. And in our tip of the week section, I'm going to chat to a well-known fertility coach who's going to give you the tips to help you navigate your way and understand how best to prepare. There is so much that we could possibly cover in the show and I promise we're going to include as much as we can this evening. Now during the week I mentioned on my Instagram page that we were going to be discussing fertility and so many of you have already reached out ahead of the show. Here's a taster. Myself and my husband suffered three consecutive miscarriages. Can't even describe how traumatic the whole experience was. I was about 37 years old and I went to a specialist who initially, when she saw my numbers, asked me if I'd had a vasectomy. I recently had a round of egg freezing done and I'm looking at doing my second. I investigated an alternative journey doing acupuncture and it worked. Now, we'll be hearing more of those stories a little bit later on. When I reached out on Instagram, I was asking how many of you actually thought about your fertility. Thousands of you responded to the poll and almost 80% said you did think about your fertility. Like lots of you reached out privately saying it's really only as you went into your 20s and 30s that it started to play in your mind a bit more. And I get that. Like the irony is, like most of us in our teens and in our 20s do not want to get pregnant. And then... In our 30s, many people find themselves desperately trying to get pregnant. According to the WHO, one in four couples worldwide fails to conceive after one year of unprotected sex. And in Ireland, one in six couples experiences infertility. And by that they mean like fertility challenges. One in six couples. And the thing is, when it comes to fertility, everyone's experience is unique. So no matter where you are on that journey right now, I really hope that this evening we can help. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Now, first up, we're going to hear from two people who are going to share a little of their fertility stories. Dara Byrne's path to pregnancy was not easy and she's since gone on to train so she could support the mental and emotional well-being of others experiencing challenges too. Dara, welcome to Supercharged. Can you tell us a little bit about your fertility story? Well, I suppose it started 
oh well 10 years ago now because I have I've had I suppose the happy ever ending kind of thing that not mm-hmm. everybody gets and it started um I suppose I didn't realise it was a fertility journey at the time because you kind of spend your 20s and into your 30s going God don't let me get pregnant <laughs> and then you're like okay yeah. then you suddenly think okay maybe I would like to to try and you just I suppose we've always been told that you know once you have sex you know boom you'll be pregnant so first month boom we were not pregnant so then first month second month second year third year fourth year fifth year still and I suppose that's kind of rushing ahead in a little bit because it just seems like it was just five years but within that like life was affected greatly like I think people don't realise about a fertility journey is that it just flows into so much mm-hmm. of your life. It just, it, it like literally can take over. It takes yeah. over your relationship, your friendships, your your work, yeah. your confidence, your sense of identity. Like if I can't have a baby, then I'm not woman enough or I'm a failure or I'm not good enough or I'm out of the club because obviously when you're around that age, everyone else around you, you know, and then there's the questions and the things that kind of people say to you. As well, obviously, you know, I think once you've got, you're married, it's like, oh, we'll see you at the, the christening type of thing, do you know, yeah. and you're like, no pressure. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I can I can sense the emotion in your voice and you're telling this yeah, story. I'm quite surprised by that, actually. <laughs> but it just shows that yeah. it never leaves you. No. And for a lot of people, it's something that they do carry. And even like you said, you've had your, your happily ever after. Yeah. Not everyone does, no. but it still has such a massive impact on your life. And during that time, which must have been so difficult, mm-hmm. like, how did you cope? Um, well, I think I thought I was coping, but obviously I wasn't coping. And it's your standard go to shove the feelings down. It's not happening or taking a break from it. Because it, it can get to the stage where it's like, what's the point in even having sex? Because I don't get a baby. And you're like, wow, OK, <laughs> if that's the way I'm feeling, there's definitely something not right here. So it's going and talking to other people or maybe I think the one thing that kind of comes across is the secrecy around it and the shame around it and the stigma and the guilt and the not being in control of a situation. It's not a nice place to be. And there's what we kind of refer to as the cycle of despair. So you can go on your IVF journey and you can do all that, but there's the the five to six years. So if you say like a cycle, each cycle, that's like 72 cycles of like grief and gut-wrenching despair every single month when your period arrives. You have your week to 10 days of where I can try and this is exciting and then your two-week wait and all the thoughts that kind of go around that and then period arrives. And it's literally like you've just been punched in the gut because it's not just the period it's the it's the future you thought you were going to have and you're like what is wrong with me that I can't like everyone not everyone as as you go on obviously you realize that there's a lot of people who are in the same situation with their own different journeys but it feels like you because it's not spoken about it feels like you are the only person that is going through this so mm-hmm. and you're you're having to go to friends weddings and you're like oh how long are you married now and which means you know any news or if you put on a little bit of weight it's kind of like, God, people will think I'm pregnant. Or if you're not drinking, it's like, oh, have you any news? And you're like, no, it's just such a a really lonely time. And there is no way to cope with it other than just trying to get on with it. But then I suppose I reached the point where I was like going into my late 30s and we're six years into it now at this stage. And we kind of dipped our toe a little bit into 
like investigations and seeing like you know even getting the, my my tubes were fine like we were unexplained infertility there was nothing which, which must be so difficult really that there's is. no reason I, I remember wishing God if they just told me something was wrong or that okay Dara 100% you can't have children at least I could grieve and move on except I was stuck in this kind of limbo purgatory of just still wanting to hope but not hoping because it was so gut-wrenching and up- upsetting to hope and then just be disappointed every time. And there's so many people that will take so much from what you're saying because mm-hmm. many people are in the exact same position. Yeah. And I know even like Mick has gone in touch and he's on the line now and he wanted to share what worked for him when he was facing okay. fertility issues. Um, Mick, first of all, when did you realise that there may be a problem? Hi Anna, hi Dara, thanks for having Hello. me. So we started trying um, back in 2007 and for two years, uh, nothing was happening. So in 2009, my wife and I, we sought some advice from a specialist. And the same thing, actually, as Dara has said, we were told it was unexplained um, infertility. Mm-hmm. And then we got married in 2011 and the pressure was on from our family. It was really like, oh, when is he, when he is having the baby? You know, it, it was something that was expected around that time. And we went down the, the avenue of exploring, uh, well, what is the issue? And we went to um, one of the clinics and I got assessed, my wife got assessed. And the news that I got wasn't really great. Um, I had low motility, a low count, and the morphology wasn't um, wasn't the greatest. So it wasn't really a, a man in his, his early 30s. It wasn't what I was expecting to, to hear, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I was a cigarette smoker. So um, straight away, that's it. They got knocked on the head. Um, and it was very funny because on the next sample that I provided, you could see a dramatic increase. Um, it, was, it, was, it was actually from, amazing. Just from eliminating smoking. Yeah. So they, they, they informed me that, the, the say, the, the life cycle was, was 90 days. So mm-hmm. um, what we did is we waited a period of time and then obviously went after the 90 days for, for another sample. And... And the, the count actually, it, it was it was fantastic. So in every area, there was dramatic improvement. So at that stage, then we we attempted IVF and and it failed for us at that time. So we were at a bit of a crossroads to to where do we go um, from here? But I'm I'm in the defence forces, and sometimes obviously I have to go away. And we were also in the that era, there was a bit of a trend. Everybody was having avocado on toast with eggs and eating healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we jumped on that bandwagon and, and we did make some lifestyle changes. So every Tuesday we used to get two large pizzas. There was a deal for 20 euros. So we stopped doing that and we started focusing on, and again, not dieting, but just eating better food, uh, probably drinking less, doing a little bit more exercise. And I'd actually reduced my weight uh, by 20 kilo. Um, wow. That sort of brings us up to about 2014, 2015. We were growing apart because everything had be sort of become a bit of a chore for us. And our, our relationship, I don't want to say it was going sour, but it was focused on the chore. Um, it was Everything was about conceiving. And, um, yeah, and I that's very relate, much I, what Dara says, is that the, that idea of, you know, we have to do this. And it, and a lot of people relate to that idea of things being scheduled in and then almost, you know, you're resenting the, the act of sex because it, it's ultimately a chore. No, it, it, exactly. And and again, that that glimmer of hope 
the period is a day late, are we pregnant? Will we rush out and do another mm-hmm. test quick? Uh, and then uh, the grief, it, it, and it is, it's a, a way of really explaining it. it it's the grief. Um, and um, I can't compare what I got went through compared to what my wife went through. It, it's a whole different level. Um, but we tried to share that journey as much as, as we could. And the changes that you made in your life then, I suppose, you know, now that you're here and I believe that, again, you're, you had a happy ending um, and that things worked for you. But what would you say to, to people listening that might think, oh, you know, for me, it's never as, as simple as the lifestyle changes. Is it a good place to start? So one of the biggest things, although we, we changed our eating habits, we exercised more, we drank less, I give up, up the cigarettes. One of the biggest things is we were very uptight and we were very stressed and and we changed that and then everything just started to flow naturally and um i i say this uh, i uh, like from the bottom of my heart i i fell in love with my wife all over again because we were we were drifting because uh, the chore and and what our focus was and we forgot about each other mm-hmm. and again I call it happy hormones everything just the stars aligned, everything just started to to, to, to work better and function better. And again, it, it was very funny, the same year that my wife was told by uh, one of the specialists, at that stage, my wife had endometriosis. Um, okay. And we were, to- we were told the only option is you have to go IVF again. And we fell pregnant naturally. And like the good old saying, while you're waiting on the bus, you're waiting for ages and then two of them come together. Mm-hmm. The following year, the following year, we, we had another one. So um, I have my beautiful boy, uh, Justin, and, and my beautiful girl, Lana, then as well. Congratulations. I'm, I'm glad for, for both of you that despite the challenges that you have had a, um, a happy story out of it. But I'm sure for a lot of people, that's not always the case. And there's a, a lot of people listening today that I suppose this is about hope, but it's also about understanding what your options are and giving you the support and giving you the advice on the show today to help you at whatever stage you are of your own fertility journey. Dara and Mick, thank you so much for sharing a part of your own personal story with us. It, it means an awful lot to people listening. And Dara is organising a not-for-profit two-day in-person event this coming June. Just a signpost supports and services available for hormonal health, reproductive health, the physical, emotional and mental well-being in things like fertility, otherhood, pregnancy and parenthood. And you can find out more details on fertilitywellbeingireland.com or on Instagram at fertilitywellbeingireland. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Joining me now in studio is Dr. Sirka O'Brien from the Murrian Fertility Clinic in Dublin. Thank you so much for joining us on Supercharged, Sirka. There is so much to discuss. I'm going to be talking 90 miles an hour here because we've got so many questions in already. Mm-hmm. Just to start us off, what should people ideally be doing pre-pregnancy preparation, I guess? Okay, so um, I think obviously there's a lot of people can do themselves before they get pregnant and try to optimise the condition um, to get pregnant. So certainly we would say for women, generally all women should be taking preconceptual folic acid um, and vitamin D 
um, and the over-the-counter dose is available in, you know, brand name or non-branded. You don't really have to buy a brand. Whatever you can afford yourself is fine. Um, but it's really important to highlight that there are some people that should be taking a higher prescription-only dose. And that would be people who maybe have a malabsorption condition, so they might have celiac disease, and people on certain medications, like some of the anti-epileptic drugs, um, and people that might have a slightly higher BMI um, to improve or reduce the risk of them developing a baby with um, a neural tube defect like spina bifida. Um, the other thing that we would advise is general healthy lifestyle measures. Um, so it's important for male and female as well. From a female perspective, uh, it's always a bit of a, a bugbear. The, the BMI topic comes into it a lot and it's not the only marker for it fitness or health. It can be quite health. misleading as well it, Exactly. And people who are quite muscular or quite fit and healthy might have a slightly higher BMI. Um, but it is an independent risk factor for miscarriage. So a BMI over 30, we would advise people to try and get it down. It does increase the risk of complications in pregnancy, such as high blood pressure or gestational diabetes, which can be screened for. Um, but that's, that's the other area that people can focus on. From a male perspective and a female perspective, reducing or stopping alcohol altogether there is ideal because alcohol can be toxic to the eggs and the the, the sperm um, and also smoking cessation as well. Yeah, because I read somewhere that when you're trying to get pregnant, you almost have to act as if you are pregnant. Yeah, so and it's I, getting yourself into that frame of mind. Yeah, and I suppose everything is individual. Like it's, it's classified as safe, you know, to have one or two units a week when you're pregnant or when you're trying to get pregnant. But obviously, if people are trying to be as healthy as they can, that mm-hmm. is the advice that they can take. And at what point then would you advise seeking like intervention or a additional fertility support and does that depend on age? It does depend on age you're right um, and it also depends on individual characteristics um, so we would say if somebody is 35 or younger for the female partner age and they're trying to conceive for a year or longer and it's not happening then they should be seeking some further investigation if they're 36 or older it's really six months or if they have a known fertility diagnosis that or a known diagnosis that might impact fertility. Um, just to highlight you were talking about trying to improve your chances of natural conception knowing when you're ovulation window is is ideal so we would say to people if they have a fairly regular cycle they might be able to predict that that you would ovulate roughly 14 days before your period happens Um, and if you start to have intercourse a few days in advance of that window and a few days afterwards every other day you should catch that ovulatory window just fine and like you you mentioned women and for a lot of people we think fertility we think okay what what can the women do but from a male perspective like what can men do to improve their sperm quality like I know there's been so much research and an American professor was saying that like since the 70s the concentration of sperm has dramatically fallen so this Mm -hmm. is an important thing Mm -hmm. to be aware of Absolutely and I suppose we don't know if that's a natural decline or if it's kind of multifactorial environmental and lifestyle Um, men are extremely important when it comes to fertility the other half of the story Exactly Um, and there's probably not as much focus on them as we would like Um, when it comes to male perspective I've already mentioned alcohol and cigarette smoking um, we would advise men that they can improve their sperm quality sometimes by taking multivitamins that have a good concentration of zinc and selenium um, and things that reduce the heat in the groin area so sperm is stored in the testicles the testicles are outside the body for a reason um, anything that heats up the groin can impact sperm quality so keeping your laptop off your lap um, phone in the front pocket um, what you wear in the gym um, or sometimes I know some people now have heated saddles on their bike if they're really really high end mm-hmm. bikes um, so that might obviously heat the groin area and affect the sperm quality and I suppose moving on then to the idea of assisted reproduction and a lot of people when you hear about that you think IVF automatically but for many people experiencing fertility issues they may not actually need IVF so like what can people try before IVF becomes an option and what's the success rate so obviously um, anyone who's having 
issues needs to have investigation mm-hmm. um, to see is there an actual I don't like to use the word problem or an issue because mm-hmm. you want to say really a challenge or an obstacle um, more than anything else. Um, and what you want to know is, is the woman ovulating regularly? If she is ovulating regularly, are her fallopian tubes open so that the egg can get down and the sperm can get up? Um, are there any structural issues with the, the uterus like polyps or fibroids or any other structural issues? And does the man have sperm of a good quantity and motility and good normal sperm sample that the sperm and egg can hopefully meet fertilisation and then pregnancy can can um, follow on. So speaking of that then, what is available through GP or public hospital systems, for example, and like, and what might it involve? I know there's things like fertility hubs that are yeah. becoming available now too. So there's been, I suppose there's been a big initiative to try and improve the fertility support for people in the public system because as we all know, fertility support by and large has been private in Ireland for, for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been six identified hubs. Um, I did read a piece recently by Joanne Hunt where, um, which I also contributed to which they mentioned that four of the hubs were functional so you had asked about some of them specifically because you were finding it difficult to find information yes. about them um, the first hub to launch was in the Coombe Hospital um, and that is fully functional and operational providing workup um, surgical and medical management in appropriate cases and follicle tracking um, and ovulation induction or super ovulation with follicle tracking um, I would say that the other hubs that are um, that have been um, launched, uh, the Hollis Street Hub is about to launch mm-hmm. in the very near future, but they do also have a fertility clinic with consultants involved in the fertility world and have been able with their relationship with Marine Fertility Clinic to be able to provide a follicle tracking service for appropriate cases. Um, the Rotunda and Cork are in the process of getting set up uh, to be fully functional and operational. And I don't think they're quite there where they, as far as I'm aware and what I've been able to find out, to provide the follicle mm-hmm. tracking services. But that's only appropriate for, you know, maybe 50% of, of the cases. Um, obviously, if there's an issue with sperm or an issue with tubes or, um, you know, uh, you know, ovulation issues, you're not always going to have success with those methods. Mm-hmm. It is age related as well. And the most successful age group is going to be kind of the, the 20s to early 30s, where you'd have success rates, maybe about 15 to 20 percent. And clinical pregnancy versus live birth rate are two different things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as you get older, the success rates decline. And, and when we hit the over 40s or the late 30s, the success rates are between 5 and 10 percent. And a lot of people have been asking about egg freezing. And I yeah. think it's an important one to, to to touch on as well because it is an option for people that they mightn't even be aware of. Yeah, I mean, egg freezing has probably, I feel it's just increased exponentially over the last while in Ireland. I think a lot of people spent a lot of time reconsidering their options. Um, and for people who maybe aren't in a relationship or aren't ready to try to conceive yet, they see a fertility assessment um, and egg freezing as an option to preserve their, their fertility potential. Um, we do know that in the, I suppose, the non-medical as in non-cancer related fertility preservation world, um, the success rates are better the, the younger you are. Um, so what's the optimum age range? The, probably, you know, really if you're talking about egg quality, you'd be talking about up to the the mid 30s to mm-hmm. late 30s kind of 37 38 um unfortunately we do see a lot of the women who are coming for that option are in their their later 30s or early 40s even and it's all about the number of eggs that you require really to have a good chance of, of a live birth outcome when you go to use them. Now a lot of questions are coming in Sarka around IVF and we are going to get to that mm-hmm. a little bit later on or ask the expert um, section so for anyone that might have questions Dr O'Brien is going to be staying with us and answering them a little bit later on so you can text us on 51551 or email us at supercharged at rte.ie. Now I mentioned at the top of the show so many of you have been sharing your stories about your fertility journeys. Have a listen to these.
Hi Anna, my name's Aoife. Myself and my husband suffered three consecutive miscarriages. I can't even describe how traumatic the whole experience was. Um, we eventually went the natural route. We learned an all about that the embryo is 50-50, partly the male and partly the female. So it took away a lot of the blame from myself. And uh, we went on a huge journey of what we call would leading a more balanced life, a balanced mind and a journey of self-love. And now we have a nine-week-old baby girl that arrived just in time for Christmas, the best present ever. So I hope this offers hope to other people. Hi, Anna. I was about 37 years old and I went to a specialist who initially, when she saw my numbers, asked me if I'd had a vasectomy. So we ended up having to do two years of IVF using ICSI to fertilize the egg and everything. But the terrible thing from my perspective was my wife had to pick up the pieces. She had to do all the injections. She had to take all the steroids and all the hormones and, and all the drugs. It's a very tough and difficult thing to go through. Hi Anna, thanks so much for covering this on your show. Um, I recently had a round of egg freezing done and I'm looking at doing my second. I'm in my early 30s and while I know it's not a guarantee, it does mean that I'm giving myself options for the future and the best possible chance and for me that's all I can ask for. I've always wanted kids and knew since my 20s that if I was single in my 30s this would be something that I would do. Hi Anna, Lorna here from Limerick. I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome from a fertility specialist and was told that we would probably need to get IVF to conceive and to do it naturally was really going to be very difficult. So I investigated an alternative journey, which wasn't very me at the beginning, but it worked. It consisted of seeing a dietitian and following a strict diet, taking supplements and doing acupuncture and it worked. So happy days. Thank you to everybody that sent their stories in. It just shows there's so many different people out there in different circumstances, having different experiences. And it's just knowing your options. So stay tuned because after the break, we're going to be chatting to a psychologist about the emotional and the psychological impact your fertility can have on you and on your relationships with others. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back. This evening on Supercharged, we are discussing fertility. And understanding the emotional and psychological impact of your fertility journey is crucial. So joining me now is Dr. Louise Clark, consultant psychologist and founder of The Consulting Clinic. She's also a member of the Irish Fertility Counselling Association. Dr. Clark, thank you so much for being with us. There are so many questions coming in and a lot of people are referencing the emotional and psychological impact that their journey has had on them. I suppose, I know it's generic and everyone's story is different, but what's the best place to start with that side of things? Thanks, Anna, for having me on today. The road of fertility, it, it it's so consuming. There's mm-hmm. such a huge psychological aspect to it. It's such a stressful journey because it's so unpredictable and uncertain. And it's one of those things that is completely outside of our control, which fuels anxiety. And all of that stopping and starting and um, sacrifices that people make along the journey, it's so consuming and it's so stressful. 
And I guess at the heart of all of it is so much grief that goes with it. Um, you know, there's the grief of um, the the dream of having that yeah. baby that they want so much. But I think as well, often it, it's a silent and a secret grief because you can't Absolutely. openly talk about it with people because they, they mightn't even know you're going through it. Absolutely. So many people just aren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. There's so many miscarriages that people just suffer in silence mm-hmm. with it. All of the rounds of IVF, fertility treatments, the decision of whether to go down the donor route, surrogacy route, and nobody really knows about it. So it's a grief that people are really holding. And that grief can really impact on identity. And there's a lot of questions about, you know, where's my place in life now? Because for a lot of people, even the idea of fertility, it it represents something in their lives, but they can't quite put their finger on what it actually represents. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's something that everyone that goes into this journey, they they really want it. Every fibre of their being, they're really Mm -hmm. wanting it. And then they're at that crossroads that it. It, they're just really struggling. They, there's no answer to it. It's just so unpredictable and it can get really shattered. And a lot of men are actually messaging in and I suppose they're talking about their own um, fertility challenges. And we'll often hear about the challenges for women, but and they're admitting that their main men are maybe not as vocal about voicing about the fertility challenges or maybe even knowing where to go to. Like, what do you think about that? Like, this is definitely a conversation we need to be opening up a lot more. Absolutely. I mean, in my clinical practice, there is so much more women coming mm-hmm. to me. Um, and more men recently, but still, you know, they, they are suffering in silence. And even the research shows that, that, um, you know, women are showing more emotional distress during the journey, but actually men are coming forward to, to talk about it. Um, and, you know, that can have such a knock on effect. Even there's there's a lot of, you know, they're they're facing a lot of kind of male jokes um, when when mm-hmm. it's not happening and they're just suffering with that. And we've heard already from one of the voice notes about that idea of blame. And when it comes to one person in a relationship needing assistance or further investigation, I guess, around their own fertility, like how can we eliminate the potential for judgment or the fear of blame mm-hmm. to, to start to develop within a relationship? Um, I think as a... As a couple going through this together, um, it's so important that they approach this together, that they're in it as a team together, because there's, again, you know, so much uncertainty and it can bring up a lot of blame, a lot of pointing fingers, to, you know, trying to get answers. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is something outside of our control. So it's no one's fault. Um, it's nature. And that's the hard part. So my advice to couples would be to have a regular time to share your fears and concerns so that there's open communication there, that there's no blame there and not to let this be at the centre of everything for you. And I think there's a, a very difficult conversation that sometimes needs to be had. Uh, like how can people consider ending or maybe stopping their fertility journey? Like perhaps one partner wants to stop and one doesn't. So like how can you navigate what must be an extremely difficult conversation? Anna, this is a really important question because it's faced by so many couples out there. Um I would say my advice would be to take a step back from treatment or from trying because when you're in it, it's tunnel vision and you want it so much. So take that step back from it for time to process, for time to communicate together, to really hear each other and most importantly, to really understand each other, to hear each other's perspective, Mm -hmm. but really take that step back and give it a little bit of time so that the emotions don't drive what, what you're feeling, that it doesn't drive that decision in going forwards. 
Yeah, and as you said, it's very much all consuming when you're in it until mm-hmm. you step back out of it. And what about then managing the relationships with other people in your life? So not just the person that you you may be going on this journey on, although many people are, are like, I suppose, having their own fertility journey. But, you know, the relationships with family and friends, like, how do you manage that situation? It's so difficult because pregnancy is everywhere. You know, it's all mm. over social media, the announcements, the gender mm. reveal and the pain and heartache that, that people go through when they face it. And a lot of my clients say that they just withdraw. They just can't bear it. And it, it's it, it's just everywhere. So. I would really advise people there to, you know, begin talking about it, to connect with people that they feel comfortable with sharing, reach out for therapy, perhaps um, have a space where they feel comfortable to start talking about it um, so that they can they can begin to start reaching out because that withdrawing is will only enhance mm-hmm. strong emotions could lead to depression and it's a road that is really isolating and often feels a ro- like a road less traveled so it's so important to be able to kind of talk about mm-hmm. it and reach out to people mm-hmm. I suppose even sometimes stepping back off social media because Absolutely. you want the best for people in your life but if you're experiencing something it might be very hard to separate you know your hurt and and devastation with somebody else's joy and elation I suppose suppose talking then about the idea of speaking to someone Mm -hmm. like would you say that it would be a good idea to speak to somebody like a perhaps like a counsellor like in tandem on your own fertility journey or at what point should you maybe seek that help I would suggest I mean there's no right or wrong time to go into therapy but if you're feeling overwhelmed with it if you're feeling like there's a lot of emotion coming up for you or you're at a crossroads or there's a strain on the relationship. It's a really good space to be able to work through all of those strong emotions and thoughts. There can be a lot of um, self-criticism that comes with it and that's where it's really important to be able to have that space to work through those thoughts and to see things more clearly. And what supports are out there for people? It's great, actually. There is a lot of support out there for people, which is fantastic. Um, I would really suggest for anyone that's going through this to research um, a specialist um, fertility psychologist or a counsellor because they have a lot of experience and extensive training in this area. Um, The Irish Fertility Counselling Association has a list of all of accredited um, specialist um, psychologists and counsellors. I'm on the executive committee there. Um, as well as the, the Donor Conception Network. They run fantastic workshops, um, you know, many times, like three times a year. And the surrogacy um, and donor conference is coming up on March the 26th, which is really informative and really helpful for couples. And where can people get information about that? Um, if you go on their website, um, you can get information. I know that they're running a conference in the Red Cow Hotel mm-hmm. on the 26th of March. Um, and I know tickets are available now. Well, even, even that alone, just knowing where to turn to if you need that support is so crucial. Dr. Louise Clark, thank you so much for taking the time to give people the advice that they need because you have the practical side of things and the physical side of things, but the emotional and the psychological is just as important. And it's often sometimes an uncomfortable um, conversation that we don't want to have. You can check out all the services and therapy available on the consultingclinic.ie or find Louise on Instagram at Dr. Louise Clark. That's at Dr. Dr. Louise Clark. Now keep those questions coming into us because we'll be putting them to Dr. Sirka O'Brien after the break. 51551 or email us at supercharged at rte.ie. 
Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back. Now, Dr. Sirica O'Brien is in with me again to answer your fertility questions. They are coming in in their hundreds. I cannot keep track. The, the computer screen keeps refreshing all the time. It just shows what an important and critical topic this is to discuss. And I'm going to get straight in, Sirica. Like, one of the, the questions that's come in here is, how long does it take um, from for your menstrual cycle to kick back in again once you stop taking the contraceptive pill or any other contraceptive for a considerable period of time? It's a good question. Um, so I suppose the um, the general research body would suggest that taking oral contraceptives or hormonal contraceptives in general doesn't impact your fertility long term. And with the pills, once you stop taking them, the hormones should wash out of your, your body pretty quickly. And that's the whole missed pill rule. If you miss a pill, yes. you're not covered for the following seven days from a contraceptive perspective. Um, but we do find people reporting that they've had an irregular cycle after they've stopped the pill. I suppose it's hard to know if it's chicken or egg. Mm-hmm. Was that, and pardon the pun, um, was that um, something that was happening in the background that, you know, would have happened anyway? Mm-hmm. Um, so there really shouldn't be a delayed return to fertility once you stop the oral pills. Some of the injectable hormones could take probably a little bit longer and um, but they they last for at least three months within your system and maybe you know it can take a couple of months for your cycle to get back regular after that okay and now we do have an audio question that has come in hi anna um just a question for your fertility expert there i am nearly 26 i'm with a man who is quite a bit older than me thought his family was done and had a vasectomy and we discussed it with my doctor and through google she reckons that a reversal isn't really a good idea. She doesn't think there's a high possibility of it actually working. And she recommends us to look at types of like IVF and stuff. And honestly, I'm panicking a small bit. And I was just wondering what your expert has to say about this or what advice does she have? Or like, where do I go? I never thought I would be 25 and genuinely having to look at the thoughts of going down the road of IVF with no fertility issues of my own. I'm wondering, what can we do to help us? Give us the best shot. Thank you. Um, that's a very it's a very good point um, because obviously people have sterilisation so they don't want to have more children and then their their circumstances can change um, for a, a female if she has her tubal ligation done it's still easy for us to go and get eggs for an mm-hmm. IVF process for male sterilisation by vasectomy it can pose some challenges because it causes a blockage to stop the sperm coming out and that can lead to an obstructive um, testicular failure it can also lead to um, hormone hormonal or sorry antibodies that build up anti-sperm antibodies that will attack the sperm cells themselves so I think it's probably important for anyone who's had a vasectomy um, you know realistically a semen analysis is going to reveal no sperm there may potentially be a small number of sperm there and that mm-hmm. could be checked um, and they should probably have a consultation with a clinic that provides services such as surgical sperm retrieval and that's where you can physically go um, and take sperm hopefully from the testes to see if there's viable sperm there that can be used for what would be ICSI. Um, so IVF is where we take the in vitro fertilisation, we take eggs from the female partner, we take sperm from the male partner, mix them together in an incubator well mm-hmm. and natural fertilisation mm-hmm. takes place. ICSI is one step further, intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And if there is a male factor there, um, either with number, shape or how they're moving, we can physically take what looks like the best sperm and inject it into the egg to try and improve the chances of fertilisation. But again, it's no guarantee. Fertilisation isn't guaranteed 100%. Well, there's a lot of questions coming in about IVF and there are a lot of people asking, like, how does age affect the success rates of IVF? I think it's just 
it's a bit of a, a sad side effect of nature that unfortunately we were never designed to reproduce in our I don't want to say older years or advanced years because I'm I'm um, hitting a new decade very soon myself. Um, I'm not going to say which one. Um, but from the perspective of age, we were designed to have our children maybe in our late teens, 20s. Um, obviously, for lots of different reasons, people are starting their families later, mm-hmm. societal, career, mm-hmm. just not in the relationship, don't feel ready, whatever reason that might be. Um, and unfortunately, the, the quality of the egg is linked to our age. And that's because as females, we are born with the potential number of eggs we're ever going to produce. And once we start an ovarian cycle, our follicles are being used up every month that we're not using. Um, And we only need one egg every month potentially for a pregnancy. So as we age, there is an ageing to our eggs as well. Mm -hmm. And the quality of the egg declines. So when we look at ovarian reserve, we're looking at the blood test AMH, we're looking at a scan for antral follicle count, but that's just a quantity. It doesn't give us anything on the quality. And there's very little out there to test the quality of an egg because it's a single cell. So there's lots of research goes into it to try and identify the quality. But there's a big age factor when it comes to natural conception rates and also fertility success rates. Um, And you might say... Um, that generally you would quote a statistic of anywhere between 46, 40 to 60% chance of a live birth with an IVF cycle. But when you look into the different age categories, as we get older, that declines. Mm-hmm. And maybe in our late 30s, the success rates are about 20% or less. And into our 40s, they're around 10% or less, you know. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it, and it declines all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, sometimes they delay having IVF too because of the cost involved. And like, like I suppose for me, I find it very difficult to get my head around yeah. the fact that there is no state support. Like we're the only state in the EU not to offer publicly funded IVF treatment. Like, yeah. and out of 43 countries, I read that we, we for, ranked... For, out of 46, we came 43rd. I mean, like, um, that yeah. has to be addressed as well to give people every opportunity. Um, moving on, we do have another audio question. My question is for Dr. Sorka. I have extraordinarily low levels of AMH with regard to my egg quality. I'm wondering if there's anything that can be done for AMH levels and how do you boost that? Thank you. So I suppose, obviously, I don't know the age of, of that individual. And when it comes to AMH, it's um it's a single number, but there's a range that you would expect it to be and there's age-related ranges. Um, So there is no one number that it should be at a certain age. And you would say maybe, you know, in your in your 20s, it doesn't actually peak until you're in your early to mid-20s anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, And in your 20s, it should be, you know, anywhere between... 20 and 30 potentially. Um, when you get into your early 30s, the average 50th centile range would be about 15. And then when you get to our late 30s, it naturally declines. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody had an AMH that's low, it depends on what their age is as to whether that's significant or not. I mean, sometimes you might find a low AMH in somebody that's not unexpected because they're in their early 40s and it might be under five. Um, and also we know that AMH, it's it's a marker of quantity or number. It's yeah. not a marker of quality. So somebody who's in their 20s that has a test for whatever reason and they find that their number is low and it's a bit of a shock, that's obviously unwelcome news, but it doesn't mean that they won't naturally conceive Mm -hmm. because it doesn't mean that they're not ovulating. It just means that the potential ovulations they have is much less than Mm -hmm. what they would have expected. And 
if you have a low AMH at a younger age, you might be at a risk of maybe going through the menopause earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of people to know, you can get your AMH levels <coughs> checked, but just make sure that it's a bit of a Pandora's yeah, box. Yeah, that you're sure, able that to you cope need to with be able the to access the support services. And obviously, Louise mm-hmm. was talking about counselling, and um, that people would be able to obtain to have a number out of context and maybe without the support or the follow-up counselling or advice for that, it is a Pandora's box. And we do find people come to us saying, I've had my AMH tested and it's this, what do I do now, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's just to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind to take on that. Yeah, and to be aware that, you know, it might not be the number you expect it to be. And sometimes we are, like your previous callers with the sperm quality, you're giving them unwelcome news. Um, And in the context of fertility, it's it's almost like telling somebody that they have a life-limiting condition, mm-hmm. you know, because it's com- maybe going to impact their, yeah. their family goals and desires and it's huge sometimes. There are so many questions coming in. I would love to have another hour just to answer <laughs> them all, but unfortunately we've ran out of time for this section. My thanks to Dr. Sarah O'Brien from the Marian Fertility Clinic for being with us. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. So now it's time for our tip of the week section and we want to leave you with some takeaway tips if you're currently on your own fertility journey trying to get pregnant. Helena Tuberty, one of Ireland's best known fertility coaches and therapists, has been helping people conceive for over 30 years. The former midwife is also creator of the Fully Charged Fertility, an online course for couples trying to get pregnant. Helena, welcome to Supercharged. I know you've put together some key points for anybody undergoing assisted fertility with a focus on IVF, though reading through these tips, they'll help a lot of people. Let's start with number one, becoming your own project manager. Exactly, Anna. You know, whether it's your first or your sixth IVF, whether it's, um, as I say, assisted reproduction or whether it's, uh, you know, restorative medical Mm -hmm. fertility treatment, you really need to keep very clear records of your whole fertility narrative. And of course, good communication makes things go all the more smoothly, really. You know, something to discuss well in advance as well as, you know, the financial aspects how much do you have for it? What is the clinic mm-hmm. offering? How long are you going to go? And I suppose your second point is about planning your IVF preparation. Absolutely. As you know only too well, mindset it underpins success. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely vital. So your point number three is very interesting. Decide who's in. What do you mean by that? It's very, very lonely if you are just doing IVF by yourself. You know, you're trying to work and do everything else and fend off, you know, social engagements now that we're kind of getting back to normal. So it's very important to know who are you going to tell? Is it both your parents? Does your boss need to know? Do all your girlfriends need to know? A lot of people find that over time they do prefer to keep it fairly close until they're a little bit more advanced. And of course, we have to remember that the other half is a major support and a wonderful lifeline, knows you, understands you, but can feel awfully powerless because they're new to IVF if they're starting and they have their own things going on. And, you know, deciding with who's in, you kind of need to know things like, your timings. Do you have um, the day off after transfer? Do you take time off during the two week wait? Mm -hmm. You need to be in tip top condition. You need a healthy egg to meet a healthy sperm. That is the bottom line. This leads us to the last and very valuable point that planning to live a little. That's really important at a time like this too. Absolutely. If you've done things like, you know, planning your med schedule on an Excel sheet to cut down that stress, you've got to 
you know, really focus on being in treatment, doing the minimum. So it's not a time to go for a promotion, perhaps, or to move house or to do a major project. You do need to eat extremely well, keep your energy reserves at peak, to sleep, to exercise, all the basic pillars of health, because you are prepping mm -hmm. for a healthy pregnancy. Yeah, and engage um, in a little bit of pampering as well. That's very important too. Helena, thank absolutely. you so much. Like I can't, I suppose, stress how important hearing this advice is for people. And of course, you can follow Helena on Instagram at Helena Turberty and get lots more information and advice on HelenaTurberty.com. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. This evening has been so informative. Like, I really hope it has helped. It's all about asking those critical questions and exploring your options. A huge thanks to all of my guests this evening. Look after your fertility. Make informed decisions early in order to protect and preserve your fertility. That's it. That's the last show in the series. You can listen back to all the episodes, including this one, at rte.ie forward slash supercharged or on the RTE radio player app. Thanks to my brilliant production team for all their help and support. Mahi, Louise, John and Mark on sound. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening every Sunday evening and for listening back as well. And thank you for your huge contribution to the show over the past six weeks. Your stories, your messages, your emails, your voice notes. Like I've had a ball. And to be perfectly honest, it has been an absolute privilege. We've opened up so many conversations on Supercharged. You can reach me on Instagram at Anna G. Cork or email us on supercharged at rte.ie. Let me know what you thought of the show and what you think we should be talking about in the future. But for now, for me, Anna Geary, mind yourselves and mind each other. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged is an audio radio production for RTE funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.